everybody. Uh, hi, everyone at East. And uh, if you're watching on TV, I got a message the other day. Uh, someone took a picture of a, of a TV that they were watching, uh, and that person was in Sheridan, Wyoming. And uh, so for those of you in Sheridan, Wyoming, I can't imagine what the weather might be like today, but glad you're tuning in. Uh, watch it online. Awesome. We have been in a series uh, not about food to some of your dismay. You're like, ah, that we were going to pass around sugar cookies and just enjoy our time together. Uh, what we're talking about is the stuff, though, that you want. The things in your life and my life that, like, we wanted at a level that sometimes we let it, whatever it is, or them, whoever they are, uh, we let them lead us. They make decisions for us. They become our authority. So you might have something in your life that's doing that that shouldn't, and God should. Uh, so we've taken some, you know, just light topics, light topics, <laughs> like safety and sex and uh, money. You know, just we just... Just surface level stuff. Uh, and today won't be really all that different, but it, it, this one's going to be kind of personal. Like, we'll see. I want to start off telling you about a guy named Clyde Beatty. Clyde Beatty is a lion tamer, was a lion tamer. I want to show you uh, a picture of Clyde Beatty. You probably actually have seen this before. And you're like, ah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if any of you are professional lion tamers. Uh, if you are, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I don't want to go to work with you. But uh, So this Clyde Beatty, guy in, uh, born in the early 1900s, like I think around 1902, 1903. He was uh, doing a normal thing. It eventually goes off with the circus, gets a job uh, cleaning up the cages and the rings and all that, and just like that was that was his gig, and uh, eventually though becomes a lion tamer. Now up to the, this moment of him becoming a lion tamer, uh, it, it was really unsafe. Now I don't think lion taming has ever been safe or ever will, but but at, at the moment that he started, it was super 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 risky to to the point that most of the lion tamers would go into the cage uh, literally armed with a with a weapon and a whip, and it was just like they didn't always make it out. It it was the it was the circus you did not take your kids to. Okay, it was. Okay, okay. Well, Clyde Beatty, he, uh, he did something that was pretty new, and, and no one had done it. And you're like, what did he do? Like, what, 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 how is, it's, it's the chair. He's the guy that gets credited with lion taming with a chair. Now, most of us are like, yes, you've seen this. I'm not telling you anything new. You're like, I've seen the lion tamer with the chair. Now, now that we've thought about it, can we all admit, what's the point of the chair? Like, you and a lion, you really think a chair is going to do you any good, right? And actually, he proved that it did. So, here's what, here's what he learned. He would do this, right? He'd be like, Hey, dangerous lion that can eat my face off, right? You think you're big and bad? Well, watch me. <laughs> right? I'm just trying to, for us to understand how ludicrous this idea is. Like, lion tamer, not for very long. But what he actually learned was this. 
when you do this specifically to a lion, the lion no longer sees anything, focuses on anything other than the four legs of the chair. And what happens is the lion gets overwhelmed with all of the angles and all that's going on that the lion becomes, listen, paralyzed. Where the lion is looking and no longer sees a guy that kind of looks tasty and is now overwhelmed, listen, overwhelmed with all that's in front of him to where the lion then just goes and is stuck until the legs are removed. Clyde Beatty actually at times would bring in not just lions, but tigers, would bring in dangerous animals all, and he would do this to all of the animals, and it wasn't the gun that was intimidating to the animal. It wasn't the whip. It wasn't his savvy, like, I just know how to speak to the animals. It was, he knew how to overwhelm the animal. There's a lesson there. I wonder how many of us right now feel overwhelmed. Where right now, all that you have on your calendar, all that you've got to do this week, all the places you have to go, all of the weight that you're carrying, the burdens, the the stress of what's happening, what's not happening, where you need to be and when you need to be. If you're a parent like me, sometimes you have to try to figure out how do we get enough like guardians at the places that, where the guardians need to be so that the kid gets someone watching the game or someone is there to pick them up. And I mean, I, I, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to raise my hand on behalf of all of us. We live in a culture right now that so easily gets paralyzed by what's right in front of us. I want to talk to you about that. God gives us a solution. You may not like the solution until you embrace it. Here's our problem. Uh, We are obsessed. We are obsessed with maximizing every area of our life. We live in a culture right now, our trend, our stream, what you and I sit in, we are taught from an early age that whatever opportunity you have coming your way, whatever, like if it it pops up, if it's for you and you get a chance to be in it, do it, have it, you should. That's why anytime, uh, even at a restaurant, like do you want a refill? Yeah, just, I don't know if I'm going to drink it, but yes. Do you ever want, someone says, do you want this? It's free. Yeah, I I don't care what it is. I'll put it in the garage if I have to. But see, that, that, is, that has leaked itself all over our lives to where we have now become, I would say, obsessed with this. And so many of our calendars and our stresses and our emotions are because you and I feel a pressure that you have to if you can. And we're like, uh, what, do, what do I do about this? I mean, this is a big deal. It, it leads to uh, an idol and then I'm going to describe this. The idol of what I would call maximizing. I know that seems weird because in good leadership, you're told, right? Good leadership, you should maximize the what? The potential of whatever. But, uh, but when it becomes an idol, idol of maximizing life becomes all about opportunities and potential. It becomes all about that. To where many of us are raised, especially we even raise our kids this way, that if someone grants you an opportunity, if you can, oh, you, you'd be dumb for not doing that. And then, um, 
And then we have breakdown. I'm going to tell you some breakdowns going on in society. Can I, can I nerd you out with some statistics, some science, some what's really playing out right now? Some of you are going to think that I'm staring right at you and like I'm judging you. And you but no, I'm not. I'm, I, I've, it's, it's in my notes, but I'm, I'm just... Uh, let me tell you one example. Uh, lawnmower parents. Have you heard of this? I, I've talked a little bit about this. Lawnmowing parenting. There used to be helicopter parenting. You're like, where'd that go? Well, we got worse, okay? We just got worse. <laughs> helicopter parenting was where we, like, we just hovered around our kids, and we were... <laughs> And we would, ooh, and we would have, we have our opinions, but, but we were, we always knew, though, what was going on in our kids' life, when I say everything going on. Um, well, that moved into what's called lawn mowing parenting. And lawn mowing parenting is where I'm not just going to hover around you, I'm actually going to mow a trail for you to follow in. And so parenting has become where, uh, let's just use some random examples, uh, your kid gets a bad grade, so you call the teacher. You're welcome, teachers, for that one. <laughs> your kid doesn't get the playing time your kid deserves. Coach. Oh, most of us know this. Your kid can't get into the college, so just pay someone to get them into the college. <laughs> right? All, all those are, just so you know, we can, we can like demonize people who do that or just say, you know what, that is a product of a culture that we've helped perpetuate. Where with lawn mowing parenting, where, where now colleges, if you want to know one of the, mo- the biggest strains going on in colleges right now, our professors and administration of colleges are having to field phone calls from parents. Because they get rumored that their kid isn't going to class and they want to find out what's wrong with the class and not the kid. Lawn mowing parenting. So eventually, uh, did you know that parents are calling employers trying to set up interviews for their kids? And as an employer, you're like, um, you've already answered if I'm ever going to interview your kid. <laughs> I'm just trying to give you an example, and this is a parenting example. I'm just showing you, I know some of you are like, well, we don't have kids, or we've already, the kids are out. I want you to see that I think we live in a culture that thinks every potential and opportunity should be maximized, and it's led some of us to leading other people going, well, then I've got to, I've got to be involved in this. And it's dangerous, right? Okay, well, let's get out of parenting. Let's talk schedule. I told you to get personal. Let's talk about your schedule. Let me show you some history. Uh, in, in 1969, J.C. Penney I'm not critiquing J.C. Penney. They're like, what? No, I'm not. Uh, J.C. Penney, uh, they decided to do something that no one else was doing. What no one was doing was on Sundays, everyone was closed. Like everyone, everything was closed down. And J.C. Penney said, you know what? Let's try an experiment. We think we can make more money if we open up on another day. But the only other day, the only thing they weren't doing, the only other opportunity was Sunday. So JCPenney picked a, a handful of stores and a little few more than that after that, and they began to open up on Sundays. No one had ever done this, and they began to make more money. Then you get into the 70s, and I, we don't have all the time to talk about all the 70s, but uh, gas stations, if you don't know this about previously to this, gas stations weren't open up on Sunday. Some of you would be like, well, then how do I get to work on Monday, right? Uh, <laughs> well, there, there was an era where gas stations were actually closed. They, like, you couldn't get it. You're like, well, did you use your, your card? No, that wasn't an option. It, it just was closed. Well, gas stations began to say, like, we think this is an opportunity. So gas stations started being open 
on Sundays to make more money. Restaurants were not open, and then they began to say, well, what if we're open up on, well, we're not going to be like, we're not going to go against the church, so uh, Sunday nights, we'll open up on Sunday nights, and restaurants who were typically closed on Sundays be, begin to be open on Sunday nights, and then grocery stores. Again, you see when someone tips it over, it begins to happen, and grocery stores begin to be open on Sundays. They didn't used to be open up on Sundays. Now, some of you think, like, yeah, that's old-school, traditional, legalistic church. No, I think it's deeper than that. So, uh, in 2008, something interesting happened. If you've ever read a book by Malcolm Gladwell, you know that uh, what he writes is captivating. He wrote a book called Outliers. I read the book. I love the book. I have quoted the book. I think it's an amazing book. I'm going to say this. I think it's a really solid, amazing book. Well, Malcolm Gladwell studied society, and here's what he was studying. He wanted to write a book on what makes you and I successful. Literally, like finding the science of it, what is the proven fact that has made the elite, the amazing, like people that you and I would say, oh, they're super successful. What's made them that way? What, what's a part of their life? And so he studied the science of it, and he discovered amongst many things, like uh, the Beatles. If you like the Beatles, uh, I, I know it's dating uh, myself a little bit, but uh, if you like the Beatles, he even studied them. Like, hey, how'd you guys get like so good and change all of music, basically? He found what's called the 10,000 hour rule. You probably have heard of it now. Uh, this rule is very interesting. It, the rule states, and as he looks at it, that, that what you would be willing to spend 10,000 hours doing, just think about practice. Like, if, if you would practice something for 10,000 hours, if you were to do that, you likely would become an expert at it. Nothing bad about that, okay? okay. You, you with me so far? You're like, I'm, I'm not. He's like, we shouldn't, like, hone in on something? And no, practice is good. Here's what our culture did with this. If you don't know this, the majority of coaches and, and anyone leading athletics heard about this rule and began to apply this rule. So they would look at their athletes and say, if I can get you to do this for 10,000 hours, I can build one of the most incredible teams ever. And so what's happened is, is we have taken the 10,000 hour rule and begin to implement it into the lives of preschoolers. And what we have begun to be obsessed with is how can I make you an elite athlete? And so now, if you don't know this, many students have been steered by parents, athletic directors, and coaches, and people who know about how to make it. They've been steering kids into becoming one-sport kids. I'm not critiquing you if you've done this. I'm just telling you history. We've begun to steer kids into being, don't, no, don't, don't play the other sports that I know you have fun and your friends do it, and that would be a blast. But, but you're, you've shown some potential, so we've got to get you into the 10,000-hour stream here. So you need to quit all the other sports. You need to play year-round and play this one sport. Now you're like, yeah. And what that's done is it's made athletes become elite. We're seeing better performances from athletes than we've ever seen before. At a cost. Kids are quitting sports like they've never quit sports. If you don't know this about the current trend, there are fewer kids playing sports now than there used to be. It is on a decline because they're becoming bored with the same sport that they've had to play over and over. It lost its fun, it's now become a job, and they're 14 years old. Now their weekends are full of traveling to different places, trying to win championships, and they're being taught that if you win enough championships, you might be able to get a Division I scholarship, and if you get a Division I scholarship, 
you get to go to college for free. Uh, and when you get done with college, yes, you really won't know what to do with your life, but you'll have gotten it for free. Amen. Some of you are like, when does he read the Bible? Because before I can read to you what the Bible says about this, you, I think we all need to admit, at least somewhere in our, our motions right now, say maybe what we're doing isn't the right way. The level of injuries happening to kids nowadays is skyrocketing. There are kids who are actually ending their, their, their athletic careers by the time they're just middle of high school because they've had so many injuries and they're using muscles too much. What if, what if for the sake of optimizing and, and taking care of every opportunity you have, when your kid showed promise throwing a baseball when they were five and you're like, Major League Baseball? <laughs> what if we overstepped? And if you want to know something about life, you know when we overstep? is when we forget about God's design. If you and I just follow God's design, it will protect us from overstepping and over-leveraging certain situations. And so does God speak about this? Does he talk about the idea that maybe you're gonna have an opportunity that you say no to? Maybe you're gonna have some potential opportunities in your life that you might say, you know, that sounds awesome, but no. He, he does talk about it. Let me take you to the Bible. Genesis chapter two. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Now, as a kid, I was like, that makes perfect sense because I would have been tired. I would have been exhausted after making a bunch of stuff. I would have been mad at myself for creating cats. There would have been a lot of things that I, I just, after the sixth day, I would have been like, you know, I need a break, right? It, sometimes when we read about God, we give him human attributes, right? We, we, we think of him humanly. And so I want, I want to tear that apart for a moment. God creates for six days, six days. And then he rests and we're like, yeah, Seems like a good time to take a break. Must have been tired. Must have been sore. Doing all that. God wasn't tired. He was teaching. And there's a lesson here that you and I have to be willing to let come into our lives that God didn't just stop on the seventh day and give you and I this, okay, here's how I, I here's, 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 here's a good model, you know, just I think it'd be good. He's tired, so you're probably gonna be tired too. And so he was teaching something to you and I, and he was teaching us restraint. I wonder how much you and I know about restraint these days. Restraint. Um, if you don't, here's the definition of restraint. Refraining from doing everything you have the power to do. At least this is a sermon for me, okay? Refraining from, from doing everything you possibly can do. How counterculture does that sound? At least like for us as Americans, like, wait a minute. But if you're good enough, if you're better than the rest of the team, if you're smarter than the rest of the class, if you win the spelling bee, if you, you see what we begin to do? Oh, if you did better, if you look better, if you're taller, if you're stronger... If you're smarter, you see what we've, we've begun to say. So what you do is maximize that. 
And it's got many of us burnt out. We don't know what to do about it. Meanwhile, God said, I'm setting you up for something. I'm going to show you something, how to do life, and it's the power of restraint. If you want to fight the idol of maximization in your life, then you need to begin to show evidence that you restrain yourself. You actually have purposeful going, I don't. Why not? Well, you could, yes, I know, but I don't. Tell you the the old way that the Hebrews or the Israelites would have, uh, they, they would have talked about their week, they, they numbered their days, but you need to see how they numbered their days. There was, there was one day, two day, three day. You follow? No, this is simple, right? You're like, this is not complicated. Some of you are like, math class in church? No, no, listen. What I want you to see is how they saw the seventh day. Stop day. Interesting. That they, were, they took the model that God said, here's how you should do life. They said, okay, then all the other days, we're going to rock it. Like we are going to be, like we're going we're gonna to do our best at growing crops and raising livestock and making money. We're going to make sure those six days are awesome, but there will be a stop day because God modeled it. Restraint day. I've talked a little bit about the Ten Commandments in this sermon series. I don't, I'm not going to quiz you. Don't worry for those of you like, oh, no, no. Uh, but I want to show you something about the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first three, one through three, just to summarize them for you, are how to love God. If you're just to summarize, I like summaries because it just is easier for me to understand. <laughs> one through three is about how to love God. Then if you go five through ten, you know what those are about? Uh, how to love others. I'll let you do the math for a second. You're going to realize, wait a minute, one through three, five through ten, story problem. <gasps> Number four is missing. Correct. Let me show you the fourth commandment. Exodus 28, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I want you to see the hinge. That maybe God ordered the Ten Commandments in order on purpose as a gift to you and I. To where he said, you know what? You're gonna wanna love me and you're 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 gonna wanna love others. Perhaps you and I, if we get good at being people who restrain ourselves. If you don't know what the word Sabbath means, it means to stop, to cease. What if we're not able to love God well right now or love others right now? What if the whole thing for you is not because of all of the temptations in your life about what you've seen or what you're going after? What, what if it's as simple as you're struggling loving God well and you're struggling loving your, your kids well or your spouse well or your friends well or your coworkers well? Or it, what, if, what if you and I, our difficulty is not how really difficult it is? What if we've forgotten the fourth commandment that there needs to be a day that we restrain ourselves? Stop. What if you and I don't love well because we're tired? (laughs) Like, there. What if it's because you and I are so emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted that we're like, but I don't have the energy to give them or that because of the idol of maximization. Now, in the Bible, it does list that as the fourth commandment, but it keeps keeps writing there's there's more stuff and we often don't read it. i want to read it to you you have six days each week for your ordinary work but the seventh day is a sabbath day of rest dedicated to the lord your god on that day no one in your household may do any work this includes you your sons and daughters uh, your male and female servants your livestock and any foreigners living among you huh for in six days 
Look what it references. The beginning of the Bible. I'll teach you this over and over. If you want to know what God wants in your life for relationships and how to do life, go to what God originally intended. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Let me, let me make some conclusions here. I want to show you three words. I want you to see the connection between the two because this is hugely significant. Rest, restraint, and holy. If you'll read the Bible often enough, you'll learn that the Bible has called you and I to live holy. If you were raised in a way that perhaps you were raised in a legalistic setting, you're like, oh yeah, holy. Uh, don't, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't date the girls that do, right? <laughs> no, no one else? Okay. I mean, can, can we confess that many of us think that, that being holy is basically a list of things that you're not supposed to do? Meanwhile, one of the conclusions that the Bible brings up that God says, you want to live holy? Then chill out. Stop. Restrain yourself. And make a day of it. But there's a deeper lesson. See, right now some of us like, see, a pastor brings up this Sabbath day thing. Well, I can't. Right now, I know many of you right now are thinking, I can't. I've got I've to work. Uh, my kid's got a championship. Uh, I've got to be somewhere else. I've got to go to this. I've got to be a part of that. I, I can't financially do this. I can't, like, socially do this. And it will become, I can't. I don't have time, David, to have, like, every single week, now maybe once a month or every quarter, but not like every week to actually stop and cease and restrain and Sabbath. Come on. Be careful with those words. I want to show you something. This is one of those verses that came alive to me recently. Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. I want you to see a connection, and this should rock your stinking world. Let me show it to you. No, go back. Remember that you were once slaves. You got it? I'm going to repeat it. Remember that you were once slaves. Now draw a line to... That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. He's telling a group of people who were raised in slavery. It's all they ever knew was slavery. Uh, if these folks, were, they were Egyptians, enslaved them. If you don't know how the Egyptians set up their week, you're going to hate this. This is like, glad we got away from that. The Egyptian week went this way. There were 10 days in a week. No weekend. There were 30 days in a month, so three weeks in a month. So how the Egyptians led the Israelites or the Hebrews in their slavery was this. You work 10 days a week and you never get a break because that is what slaves do. So God pulls them out of slavery, pulls them out of slavery. And think if you ever rescued anyone from slavery, what would you begin to teach them and instruct them? How would you tell people who all they knew was slavery and say, all right, all right, I want to give you a new life. How would you set up? You might say, you might say well, I'm going to give you a job because you need money, or I'm going I'm to give you a, a house because you need shelter, right? Look what God does. I have freed you. 
And so you need a day off. He was telling them that if you stay working all the time, if you, if you spend all of your life maximizing every single moment, you're not maximizing every moment. You have returned to slavery. So I am now in your business if you want to know something. If you don't have the time or money or energy or desire to stop, you're living like a slave. Perhaps your owner is called the calendar. Perhaps your owner is called your child's giftedness. Do you see what we're doing? The same thing that was done years ago, and God says as a blessing, as a blessing, you're no longer going to do the 10-day work week. You're going to do what I set up. You're going to work six days a week. And then I'm going to leave you with a day that you just stop. How good is God? That out of their slavery, he says, there's a better way. But here's the problem that arose. Uh, resting became a burden. <laughs> uh, and for some of you, you're like, oh, it is a burden. Some of you can't sit still. Like right now, you can't. You just like, Ugh. But listen, uh, resting became a burden. For some of you have the FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. So if you, if you were to stop, if you were to put your phone down for a day, you'd be like, you are crazy. If you didn't check social media for 24 hours, you'd be like, you've lost your mind, David. If you didn't work for one day a week, like for real, not like pretend, like not hiding the side hustle. Like if you just chilled out, you'd be like, what? See, it became a burden because people had this fear of missing out, but for some of us, it became legalistic where all of a sudden it was all about rules and regulations. And that's how they began to take it. They're like, oh, we gotta honor the Sabbath. God wants us to stop, so we have to stop. And if we catch anyone else not stopping, oh, they're not going to heaven. I wanna read you. There were, these were some of the rules. These were some of the rules. This is. On the Sabbath, Israelites were forbidden to tie a knot because that was work. Except, a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. That was allowed. <laughs> so watch how they got around this, because this, this is what you and I do. <laughs> so if a bucket of water had to be raised from a well, an Israelite could not tie a rope to the bucket, but a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket and pull it up from the well. <laughs> is that not how you and I work? Come on. Uh, you could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair and that would be called reaping and that was working. Uh, if you were to spit and you were outside, you couldn't spit on the dirt. You could only spit on rocks because if you were to spit on dirt, you would all of a sudden make dirt because you spit on it mud and mud was considered mortar and mortar was used to work. You want to go back to that way of life? Huh? You see, it's amazing for us when, when we talk about not maximizing everything in our life. We have two major camps going on right now, like all locations everywhere. We're, there's, we're not all thinking the same thing. Some of us are like, but I can't miss out on something. I don't have time to restrain. And then others were raised, but David, that's legalistic and law, and I don't even live that way, and that's so burdensome, and, and like that's Sabbath, that's old stuff. So we have this quandary because the idol of maximization still exists. What do we do about it? Well, Jesus shows up and disrupts everything. You know, Jesus got in trouble for working on the Sabbath. 
If you, if you read your Bible, you'll find uh, at one time um, he and the disciples were hungry. Well, you get food, right? So they went and actually picked some corn to cook the corn. And uh, religious leaders saw them picking corn saying, how, are you, how dare you work on the Sabbath? And he's like, I think you've missed the point. Another time, Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath and got in trouble from religious leaders going, why were you working on the Sabbath? So what do we do? I want to teach you how very quickly. This will not take very long. So Jesus came this way. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus came to carry your burdens. He would love to carry the weight that you and I are trying to carry ourselves, typically on the weekends or in the evening. So before I show you what Sabbath actually is and what we can do about it, one final check. (laughs) If rest is a luxury, maximizing is your idol. I'm purposefully not saying anything. If to you, rest is someday down the road, that's called making it a luxury. If to you, you don't make enough money to rest, you've made this a luxury. And God never said the Sabbath was a luxury. Oftentimes we talk about being a follower of Jesus as a question. Here's one of the ways I was taught to remember what to do on the Sabbath. Relax. That's holy. Some of you are like, but we're South Dakotans. And now Wyoming, Montana, and all the other states, right? But relax? When you get asked, how are you doing? How's life going? If it was a relaxing week, do you say it? Most likely, no. How was your week? I mean, super relaxing. Like, we just chilled. Like, it was, man, I hardly did anything this week. Most of us, like, if it's true, you're like, you know, vacation, you know, it's kind of stressful, sitting at the beach. (laughs) The water didn't always hit my feet in the way I wanted it to. Do we not do this? How was vacation? Well, it was good, but man, it's so good to be back. I don't think Christians relax well. Where God said, I'd like you to relax once a week, actually. I'd like you to, like, chill out. And then what do you do? Do you just, I mean, is it just, like, put on Netflix? No. Reflect. Every Sabbath, you should spend time reflecting on the previous week and the week to come. What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Write it out if you need to. Record it however you want to record it. Speak it to a friend. Be in a group and say, hey, I just need to reflect on what's going on in my life. That is actually a holy act to reflect also on the Sabbath, relationships should be a priority. Relationship with God, but did you know with others as well? That a part of your Sabbath and my Sabbath should be where we eat together. I grew up uh, where regularly lunch was with someone else. If you wonder, like, is that what just church people do? No, in part, the original intent was that, was that we would spend time with each other because we need each other. And it is holy. 
here's one of the ways I was taught to remember what to do on the Sabbath. Relax. That's holy. Some of you are like, but we're South Dakotans. And now Wyoming, Montana, and all the other states, right? But relax. When you get asked, how are you doing? How's life going? If it was a relaxing week, do you say it? Most likely, no. How was your week? I mean, super relaxing. Like, we just chilled. Like, it was, man, I hardly did anything this week. Most of us, like, if it's true, you're like, you know, vacation, you know, it's kind of stressful, sitting at the beach. <laughs> the water didn't always hit my feet in the way I wanted it to. Do we not do this? How was vacation? Well, it was good, but man, it's so good to be back. I don't think Christians relax well. Where God said, I'd like you to relax once a week, actually. I'd like you to, like, chill out. And then what do you do? Do you just, I mean, is it just, like, put on Netflix? No. Reflect. Every Sabbath, you should spend time reflecting on the previous week and the week to come. What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Write it out if you need to. Record it however you want to record it. Speak it to a friend. Be in a group and say, hey, I just need to reflect on what's going on in my life. That is actually a holy act to reflect. Hmm? Also on the Sabbath, relationships should be a priority. Relationship with God, but did you know with others as well? that a part of your Sabbath and my Sabbath should be where we eat together. I grew up uh, where regularly lunch was with someone else. If you wonder, like, is that what just church people do? No, in part, the original intent was that, was that we would spend time with each other because we need each other. And it is holy, even on the Sabbath, right? Especially on the Sabbath, for us to be together and commune together and enjoy each other. And then, of course, Rejoice and remember, and that is specifically about God. Every Sabbath should contain time where you rejoice about who God is, and you remember who God is. One of the greatest ways to do that is obviously to gather like this to where we sing songs collectively together, and we celebrate God, and we remember God, but this is not exclusively it. So there, I told you how to get in your business. Now you got to look at your calendar. Now you got to look at how you live your week. And to get real personal with you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your calendar reveals now if you live free or as a slave. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your goodness, uh, your goodness is always available to be seen. So God, we as a church mark this moment as we see your goodness, we see your goodness and how you've structured the week. Thanks for bringing us out of a 10-day work week. Thanks for giving us permission and for leading us to a day that we just need to stop. So God, on this day that we stop, we tell you, Lord, we love you. We think you're absolutely amazing and so good. Your ways are always best. And so, God, we acknowledge that, that you are God, the almighty God who loves us and is sovereign and who walks into our lives and says and teaches us the ways that we need to go. So, God, thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.